from understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till. She makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to the program. I'm Rabina Ahmed Haq, and this is For What It's Worth. We are in the home stretch of RRSP season. You have until February 29th to make a contribution into your RRSP that you can then count towards your 2023 tax year. Now, a lot of Canadians use the RRSP to minimize their overall tax burden that you love getting that refund in May once you filed your return. But does it always make sense? And especially this year, should we be really rushing to get that RRSP contribution in before the end of the month when you have credit card debt lying around, maybe mortgage debt, which is getting more expensive because of interest rates, just the cost of living. If you take all that money out of your bank account, put it into your RRSP, that's no longer part of your cash flow. And that could mean having to cut back on other things when they come up. So you really want to think about a couple of things before you make an RRSP contribution before February 29th at midnight. You get an extra day because it's a leap year this year. So we all get 24 extra hours to make that RRSP contribution. So first you want to figure out which income tax bracket you are in. Which, what's your marginal tax rate? And you can do that easily by just using any old uh, income tax calculator. You go in there, you put your province, and then you put in your salary. You put in how much you've already contributed to your RRSP, ask you a couple of other questions, and then it will spit out which marginal tax bracket you are in. And then you can decide, okay, in order for me to get to the next lower tax bracket, I would have to contribute X amount. So say that amount is $1,500. So you can decide, is it worth it for me to spend $1,500 to get into the next tax bracket? So lower your income. So you're in the next tax bracket, because effectively what that means is you will be Uh, getting a refund on the income that you paid the most amount of income tax on. So, you know, you can, you can continue to make RRSP contributions until your income is at, you know, if you've got the room, you've got the contribution room, it doesn't make, doesn't make any sense because, you know, uh, the more you reduce your income, the lower a marginal tax bracket you are in and the less income tax you paid on that money. But for many of us, it's really about taking advantage of the money we paid the most amount of income tax on, right? So that's the first thing you want to figure out is that, you know, if I was to try to get myself into the next uh, tax bracket, how much money would I need? Now, if that number is, let's let's use that $1,500 example again, $1,500 away, but you have a $1,000 credit card balance lying around, it would make a lot more sense to pay that credit card balance off rather than investing money into your RRSP. The reason is because you are paying 18 to 22% on that money that you have borrowed on your credit card. And it is compounding. Every time you get your your, your bill closes, they are they're con- continuing to charge interest. And that will be on the interest that they charged you last month as well. So this is a really expensive way to manage your personal finances. So if you've got a credit card a balance that you haven't paid down, that should be your first priority. Secondly, if you've got a mortgage that's coming up for renewal, so say you've got a mortgage that you took out in 2020 and it's coming up for renewal or 2019 rather, because most people take five-year mortgages out. So say you took a mortgage out in 2019, it's coming up for renewal this summer and you are worried about the higher interest rate environment that you will be 
you will be renewing your mortgage in. You could take that money and make a lump sum payment. Now, what that will do is that will take uh, money right off the top of your your loan. So say you owe still $350,000 on your mortgage and you make a $10,000 lump sum payment, all of a sudden you owe $340,000 on that mortgage. Now that's different than making a payment because when you make a payment, part of that money goes towards interest and part of the money goes towards paying down principal. So lump sum payments are the magic that help you get your mortgage down faster. So that's another thing to consider. If you've got a mortgage coming up for renewal, maybe not even this summer, maybe next year or in the future, and you're worried about how you're going to manage the payments, you could make that lump sum payment. Now, I'm a huge, huge, huge uh, advocate for RRSPs. I think they are one of the best ways to save for your retirement or when you leave work for your golden years, as as you want to characterize it. Uh, But you don't want to do it Uh, and also uh, continue to have credit card debt or continue to have high mortgage debt, if you can get that down, then that was going to give you more ability to save into your RSP. And the great thing about the RSP, just like the TFSA, the contribution room never goes away. So especially if you're a young person, um, you can wait a couple of years to put money into that RSP, use that contribution room then. And it may be that you might be in a higher income tax bracket, so you'll actually get more income tax back on that same money because you will be lowering your income from a higher level. So just some things to think about before you rush to make that RSP contribution. Banks are going to be on you to do it from now until the 29th. But just weigh your options to make sure that you're doing what's best for your personal finances and for your financial wellness. We have a great show coming up today. We're going to have uh, someone on from Robert Half. It's a recruiting company talking about what to expect from 2024. They've done a survey that says four out of 10 Canadians are looking for new jobs in 2024. Are you one of them? They've got some tips on what you should consider. And Valentine's Day is around the corner. But what if you're broke? How do you really show your sweetie that you love them if you've got no money? It can be really challenging. So we'll have a relationship expert on later in the program to talk about ways you can make Valentine's special without breaking the bank. We will be back in a minute. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed-Huck. The demand for skilled workers remains high in Canada, and this is great news for anyone who has those in-demand talents and is looking for a job. But in this uncertain economy, it can be challenging. Despite that, the majority of those surveyed recently in a Robert Half survey say they're looking to make a job change this year. To talk about this survey and more, we're joined by Sandra Lavoy. She's Regional Director at Robert Half. Hi, Sandra. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rubina. Thanks for having me. So this survey is really interesting because we know the kind of year we're facing. The economy looks a little shaky. We don't know what's happening with interest rates. But despite all of that, Canadians are saying that they're in the mood uh, to look for a job. What kinds of jobs uh, are, are Canadians looking for in 2024? What was interesting when we did this uh, survey is that marketing professionals, creative professionals, HR professionals have a willingness to move. And what was interesting from our survey is that our survey showed a higher percentage of people are willing to move in the first 
part of 2024 than what we saw in 2023. I wonder what changed in just that short amount of time. How come people are now, is it the new year? Sometimes that gets you thinking about, hey, what am I, what are my goals for 2024? What do I want to do differently this year? It, was there any reason as to why that, that, that data changed from just, uh, you know, just the end of last year to the beginning of this? I believe, first of all, the demand uh, for skilled talent is still very high. The cost of living has gone up, as we all know, significantly. And when we look at the number one reason people want to leave is for higher salary. And I believe that they want to do this now because the market is still looking for strong people. And a lot of companies that have put projects on hold are bringing these projects back because they're in need, especially in IT, AI, risk. We're seeing a lot of projects come back on. Yeah, I mean, I've been covering personal finance and workplace going on 15, almost 20 years. And everything that companies offer, all the perks and the benefits, they're great. But the main motivator is always salary. If you can make more money, you're more than likely willing to look at another job as a possibility. Is that one of the main motivators still? You mentioned that a little bit in the last answer. Um, is that, and is there anything else that's motivating people to really want to? Uh, go for another job? The number one reason is higher salary. We're also seeing better perks and benefits with, of course, flexibility. Employees want to see flexibility for when they can come in the office, hybrid or leave. And they also want more opportunity and advancement. And what was interesting in our survey, the demographics that are people that are looking for work are willing to move have been the Gen Z, which are new grads, or the millennials. That's between the age of 28 and 43. And marketing and creative people are also looking for work right now. Those are the three areas and age groups that are looking to, uh, to move right now. So if you're a young marketing graduate, this is the time, right? <laughs> Maybe for, if you are... <laughs> exactly. Um, when there is turnover, it's really expensive to onboard new people. Uh, even the hiring process can be really arduous, finding someone that fits uh, into your company. Employers want workers to stay, but what can they do if they can't offer them more money? So if you go and say, you know, this company's offering me a 15% bump in pay, but you can't match that. What can that employer do to get those employees to stay and uh, be loyal to that company? What's interesting is we did a survey a little while on this, is that employees will take less of salary if they have a hybrid or flexible work environment and they see growth in the business. This type of benefits can only happen if you have open communication with your manager, manager speaking to the employee and employee speaking to their manager. And, you know, hybrid and remote really weren't uh, in the vocabulary between employer and employee, even up until three years ago. Really, the pandemic has pushed us into this new reality uh, of the way that we work. And I, I can see, even amongst my friends and family, that, you know, flexibility, if they don't get that at work, if all of a sudden employers like, no, we want you in four or five days a week, uh, that, you know, that can spark the, 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 the interest in finding a new job. You, you mentioned 
mentioned Gen Z and millennials. Uh, you know, they are the ones that are the most interested, from my uh, perspective, in hybrid and remote work. Um, why, are they giving other reasons as to why they want to change? Um, is it because they're new in their career? They want more experiences. Is there other reasons why they would want to change at this time? 32% of the two Gen Zs and millennial will leave a, a, an existing position for a position that will show more advancement and opportunity. 32% of that that generation will leave for that type of position. But wow, keep in mind, 47% will leave for higher salary. It's really important when companies are doing their budgets to keep that in mind, because if they want to keep the top talent, no matter how many you know, flexible hours and benefits they offer them. If someone's offering them more money, they 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 could possibly lose them. And like we talked about, uh, cost you a lot to to rehire somebody. There is also a risk on the workers' side uh, when you leave a job, especially if you've been with the company for a little while. You join a new company. What should somebody who's listening to this think about before they decide to hand in their resignation and uh, and, and start a new job at a, at a new place? I believe if you're only leaving for money then you need to have an open and honest conversation with your employer. You have a lot of goodwill in the bank if you've been there five or seven or 10 years You need, and you are happy, you need to have open communication. And if you cannot come to you know, a common ground, then you move forward. Because what will happen sometimes, and we've seen this, where the person decides to leave and they get an offer and they come to resign, the employee employer says, why didn't you come and speak to me? You know, I didn't know you felt this way. So I think that's really important in today's market. Yeah, absolutely. And then once, um, it's just human nature. Once you've made the decision to leave, it's uh, kind of hard sometimes to go back to a place where you've accepted an offer and say, actually, I think I'm going to stay here. Most of us, uh, once we make that decision, we're sort of already out the door. So like you said, talking to your employer early, just to see what your options are, because you may not have to change jobs at all uh, and stay in the one that you are in. We're speaking to Sandra Lavoie. She's regional director at Robert Half about what we can expect from 2024. Survey that they did said that there is a a, a growing number of Canadians that are looking to change jobs in uh, 2024. Uh, More money is one of the motivators, but also better benefits, flexibility. Um, What is your best advice, uh, you know, outside of the risk part of changing jobs for someone who is wanting to make a move, say they're just thinking about it right now and they know they don't want to stay in this job. They want to change in 2024. What are some of the first steps that they should be taking Sandra to, to, to get the best offer and the best position possible? So to the employer, if you have great employees, put the effort in retaining and having regular, I call them interviews with your existing employees to make sure they're happy and they're engaged at the highest level and quiet quitting is not happening. So that's for the employer. To the employee, make sure you're also communicating effectively with your manager and having open and honest conversation about flexibility, what you need short-term, long-term in your career. And then you can make a decision. Is this the company I wanna grow with? Or is it time for me to move on and look at opportunities and sign up with, you know, a recruiting or professional staffing firm that can help you with other, uh, another position? 
Is there a risk? There used to be a time, I mean, I'm probably aging myself where, uh, you know, I was told don't try to don't change jobs more than every seven years because it gets gives you a reputation that you you don't stay loyal. You it doesn't look good on a resume. Does that still exist? You know, if you if you open if if an employer looks at a resume and they see you know the person has changed jobs four or five times in the last decade, does that reflect badly on on, on that that possible new hire or does it does it matter anymore? It does matter. I mean, if you're only there six months or nine months, it is a negative. But the average person stays in a position two and a half to three years. If the, the manager or the new employer who's looking at this candy sees upward growth, then that is great. But if it's just jumping around from position to position, that could have a negative impact on, on your career. But if you're looking for a position while you have a position, and you haven't moved around more, you know, I say on average every two and a half to three years in today's market with good skills that are in demand, there's huge opportunity still in the city. Yeah, especially uh, for younger, uh, younger workers who are still trying to figure out, you know, where exactly they want to be in their career, because even if you graduate from a certain uh, you know, you graduate with a certain type of degree. There's so many different things that you can do. And sometimes it, they're finding themselves rather than being, uh, you know, uh, flippant about their jobs. And they're, they're really just trying to figure out uh, where it is that best fits them, that they can build a career at that, that in that in that job or in that, um, in that line of work. Uh, Sandra, um, as we head into 2024, what, are there any concerns that you see uh, for this year when it comes to workers and employers being able to retain workers? I think that salaries have increased significantly because of the cost of living and such in demand skill sets. Uh, we're seeing it. So employers have to do compensation analysis and pay their employees properly to retain them. Uh, but the market is still very strong, Rabina, and candidates have a lot of options. And sometimes employers today think, oh, we can take our time to hire. You know, the market is slowing down. We have a lot more options. Well, we're not seeing that yet. Sandra, thank you so much for making time for us today. I think that this is something that really is going to speak to a lot of young people, like you said, especially. And just things to keep in mind if you're out there uh, searching for a job, uh, you know, the do's and don'ts of, uh, you know, like you said, uh, don't be changing every six months because that may not bode well uh, for the next person that is looking uh, to hire you. Sandra, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. That's Sandra Lavoie. She's Regional Director at Robert Half. When we come back, Valentine's is right around the corner. But what if you've got no money to spend on your sweetie? How can you really show the person that is your significant other that you really love them this Valentine's Day if you're broke? That's what we're going to be talking about after the break. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Valentine's Day is coming up and you may be making plans for that special someone in your life. But if money is tight, your options may be limited. Finding ways to impress your sweetie with little cash can be a challenge. If this is you, we have some solutions. Joining me now is dating and relationship expert and journalist, Jen Kirsch. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for joining us. This is something I think uh, 
would really stress me out, especially if it's someone I had just met and I want to impress them, but I'm on a tight budget, cost of living is high, I'm worried about my cash. How can someone who is in that situation, uh, especially if they want to ask someone out, how can they connect with someone that they want to 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 to, to date? They want to get make a romantic connection with. You know, it's it's money. What a topic, right? I mean, it's so interesting. I think that first and foremost, if you've already started seeing a person, or you are um, in a relationship, or have been together a couple months, a situationship. I think it's okay to be honest. Like one thing I try to promote with people is talking about the hard things. So saying money is tight. You don't need to go into details if you don't want to. And that's not anyone else's information, but you know, money is tight this year. I want to spoil you. I want to celebrate you or I want to go out, you know, but I don't really have the budget this time of year. You know, would you be okay with, you know, coming over? I'd love to cook you a meal. You know, I think just being truthful from the get-go is really key. Of course, if it's a first date and you don't have the budget and Valentine's Day is coming up, don't invite them over. (laughs) No one wants to go over on a first date to (laughs) someone's home. That is a recipe for disaster um, and doesn't give someone an out. But, you know, just be as truthful and honest as you can and let them know that they, you want to celebrate them and it is nothing personal. With relationships, we want to feel valued, seen, heard, prioritized, and none of that costs money. How big, you you know, you alluded to it right at the beginning, this is a big topic in relationships. How big of an issue, because I always talk about how money is one of the major reasons that couples fight and break up. It, it, does that still remain uh, a problem in especially new relationships where they don't, couples don't know how to bring up the topic and then it can become a source of argument, source of anxiety between the two? Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of the biggest issues, if not the biggest issue that couples seem to have. It is an awkward and taboo topic to talk about. Not only like the shame you may be going through if you're going through t- transitions with work and things happening that you may not want to share if you, you know, it's very tough to bring up these topics with someone new, but you just, you know, you got to do it and talk about the hard things, like I said. and you know, it causes problems. So in relationships, I could speak from personal experience. I've had a tough time. This is the number one reason why couples develop resentment, because you may have expectations of how um, you want them to contribute to the relationship or to contribute to dates. And if you don't communicate, which we often don't do, we like to bite our tongues and You know, we walk on eggshells a bit because we don't want to rock the boat and we don't want to ruin the relationship. But when we don't have these conversations and we build that resentment, um, it doesn't allow anyone to take accountability and to come to terms with what budgets are, who pays for what, who contributes what, especially those people that these days with everything in the housing market, you know, people are moving in, couples are moving in with each other, like within a couple of weeks, within the first month to save money on rent. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to talk about how you guys are going to share finances and budget even early on. 
the cost of living crisis has hit everybody really hard. Uh, you go to the grocery store, you constantly get sticker shock from, you know, the cost of avocados <laughs> to a, a bag of milk. And you're right. You know, sometimes money can be a motivator to say, hey, we really like each other. We could save a lot of money if we live together, right? So it might seem like a great idea, uh, but you haven't really dug deep into what your money values are. What are some of the things that you should think about before you just think, well, moving in with this person would save me some cash? What are some things you should think about when it comes to your personal finances before you decide to merge them and move in together with, with someone that you're dating? Okay, you're speaking to my heart here. And I laughed about the grocery store because I think some of my most frustrating moments in past relationships have been in the grocery store. Like you want that, but it costs this amount. And it's like, but this is what I eat all the time, or this is my favorite snack. So I, I hear you with that. You know, I think that um, it sounds great to save money and move in with someone, but are do you like them? Do you love them? Um, are you are you satisfied and are you comfortable in a space with them? Is it their space you're moving into? Or are you getting a shared place together that could be yours? I know that you and I have discussed, you know, previously in our personal conversations, I find it really... Um, I don't know the right word for it, but it's very stressful and there becomes a power imbalance when you move in with someone who maybe already has a place that they're settled down in and you either contribute to rent or you don't contribute to rent because they're already paying and they have this space and they want you there all the time. And the power dynamic in the relationship drastically changes because it's not your actual place, especially if you're not paying the rent. So I think you need to have the conversations of what is expected. If you want to move in with someone, it's a great, you know, meet cute rom-com, you know, delicious story of dating. You know, you fall in love and you move in right away. But, you know, ask the tough questions. What is that going to look like? Am I expected to buy my own groceries? Are we going 50-50? Can I touch, you know, your peanut butter in the cupboard or is that yours? You know, what? Are, what's expected for the different bills? I think when you can have clarity and answer those questions, um, you'll know what you're expecting. But be mindful of that because all of that stuff adds up and it's it's a huge part of your relationship. It is your every day. Hey, listen, Jen, if I'm moving in with someone and they're not letting me eat their peanut butter, I'm going to rethink <laughs> that merger. <laughs> Definitely. Like if, they, if they're going to be that, they're going to be that petty about it. But I see what you're saying that, you know, we, <sighs> we get really excited about relationships and we don't really think about the nitty gritty, the practicality of what it really means to live together. The reason I no. wanted to have you on is because Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, it's a day that we traditionally do spend a little bit of money on our significant other from, you know, flowers to going out for dinner. It can be pretty expensive. There was a recent survey that was done by Intuit that said that an average date can cost $130. And a lot of people are feeling like they can't afford to date because it's just so expensive <laughs> to ask someone out. What are some things that, you say, know, you mentioned cooking a dinner for someone, but what are some yeah. ways that you can really uh, find time, to, you know, to spend some romantic time with someone and not go broke trying to do it? I mean, okay, we all, sorry, I laughed at this, the survey that you mentioned because like 130, I, I was thinking for one person, like that's it. And, you know, I, I want to, I, mean, I guess with another. no appetizer or wine, maybe, maybe it's just <laughs> no, the <mains>. yeah, no, <laughs> no alcohol included um, and no cocktails, especially these days. Um, you know, I think that one thing to, I want to talk about another survey too, um, similar data, but one thing that we 
know for sure right now is people are so fascinated with this idea of the five love languages. So love doesn't necessarily mean buying someone something to show your love. It doesn't mean material things or goods or something super glam that will look great on a post to brag about on Instagram or on your stories or to tag because you're in the know. I think that again, those, those pillars I said to you at the beginning to feel seen, to be heard, um, to feel appreciated. It could be cooking a dinner at home. Look at into, even if it's a new partner, what's their love language? You know, do they like to be taken care of? Can you, you know, clean their house? No, and I know that sounds really cheesy, clean their house, but like put together some meals for <laughs> hey, the I'm weekend. I'm really into you. Could I come and like scrub your toilet this, this week? <laughs> yeah, so I don't mean that, but I just mean like, you know, if it's something like meal prepping and putting things together and stuff like that. For me, like I love words of affirmation. There is nothing better to me. My favorite gift I think I've ever had, especially, you know, I lost my mom when I was younger. To have those handwritten cards in her penmanship expressing her love is something so beautiful. Or uh, even from like a friend recently, a friend just sent me some snail mail like it's not dead and you know writing words <laughs> and that have meaning and that's so powerful so look at what the love language is and a, a lot of people it's physical touch which means being present and spending time together it could be holding their hand um you know being present so plan something it is we're in Canada it's cold out this time of year um but try to get creative and give someone a tend to them based on what their needs are you can cook at home, you can, you know, dim the lights, light some candles, set up a little dance party, you could set up like a marathon for a movie night, and have them pick a card from a selection on what movies you'll watch. And like some maybe like uh, cocktails you could make at home for them, you know, get creative. But we need to like, be realistic about money and the issues. So people don't think it's them. Because unfortunately, a lot of us feel like when someone doesn't spend money on us, that we are unworthy or unworth it. And that is something that that's a, a messaging that I really hope that we could identify and then change. You know, Jen, for a little while, I lived in England and dating there is a little a little bit different. Uh, it very much is 50-50. There's no expectation that you have to treat the other person. So it took a little bit of getting used to because I was single the whole time. But I remember <laughs> one of the best dates I went on was someone that I was working with and we were kind of into each other. Obviously, we didn't end up together. I married someone else. But um, he said to me, you know, he knew that I'd never really seen the British office. And he's like, do you want to come over on Friday and we'll just like watch DVDs of the British office? And it was such, like you said, I felt seen because I'd mentioned I'd never seen it. I really want to see it. And it, yes. it was, this was the time before streaming and, and you know, having, you know, everything available, everything available at your fingertips. And so he had to go out. I, I don't know where he got the DVDs from, but you know, he, he had to go out and actually source that from somewhere. And it was a cheap and cheerful date. Like, not, you know, it wasn't really something yes. that you had to spend a lot of money on. So I, I hear you with the, the, you know, just sort of seeing what the person is into and then finding something that will make them yes. happy from, from what they're talking about. Uh, Jen, totally. you're a dating and relationship expert. Um, what, what does a good first date look like? I mean, if you really want to knock it out of the park, uh, on your first date, forget about <laughs> the money and how much you spent, but really want to uh, make sure that this person knows that you're into them. What what would you say that they should be doing? Okay, well, number one is they should be present, you know, put those phone down, that phone down, like, you don't need to finish your wordle at the moment or be texting your buddy just because they happen to text you at that moment. Like, I like to put my phone on do not disturb. 
um, and be present, be in the moment, you know, have a conversation of something that connects you to my perfect first date, I think would be, um, you know, I love a good cocktail. I don't drink at home. So I like the idea of like going out. I love the idea of getting glammed up. So going somewhere new, a hot new place or a really intimate, you know, hidden gem, something even a little more like crunchy and just a local spot and get lost in delicious music and low lighting um, where it doesn't matter. And if the date goes well, you know, you meet for a drink. And if it goes well, it could be one of those where you explore and go to another, you go for a dinner and then you go for dessert elsewhere. And then you go for cocktails at like a hotel lobby bar. I love a hotel lobby bar. Um, And yeah, this is so interesting, but Again, it all comes down to money. So be upfront. If that's not in your budget and you're going to complain about the person later, um, don't do it. Also, always assume, guys, that you may get stuck with paying at least half the bill. So don't go somewhere on a first date that is wildly outside of your budget because you think you got a free ride because you should think again. <laughs> um, and, you know, we were talking earlier before we uh, recorded this. I was catching you up. I was just saying, like, the money issues are just the bane of my existence in relationships historically. And that's something that I'm working on. And I mentioned to you that a friend had a client um, that recently for Valentine's day did this survey. So her client was simply financial and they decided to do this survey um, about Canadians and their spending habits because their whole, the whole purpose for that company is they're all about like making things more simple for Canadians. So like this data they felt like could hopefully help Canadians tackle these tougher conversations like the ones we're having and why I think that surveys like that simply financial, for example, is done for Valentine's day and how we connect in relationships and money and dates and buying presents for people and showing up. I think it's so important because it helps us feel less alone in our behind closed doors experiences, if you will. So if you're, if you're listening to this, and you're having troubles in your relationship and you're eight months in and it's fairly early on and it should be the honeymoon stage, I want you guys to know you are not alone. But keeping resentment or writing in your iPhone notes the issues that you have or who pays for what or going tit for tat is going to drive that relationship so downhill so fast. So, you know, try to be accountable and just talk about talk about this stuff. Let's make it not taboo anymore. I'm so glad you had me on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big advocate of just talking about your money, talking about your debt, especially if you're getting serious with somebody. And uh, don't punch above how much you can afford. I mean, if you can't afford a five-star restaurant, then don't take them to a five-star restaurant. Go to Starbucks or go somewhere, you know, that is going to not, not break the bank because it's just about being together and and, and setting expectations. Do you want to go for a and coffee And getting date? out because of the they house. know it's a coffee date. Yes. <laughs> totally. And just Jen, get out of the so house Thank you so much. This has been so good. And happy Valentine's Day. I think you're going to be a busy happy lady over the next uh, little while talking about dating relationships. I appreciate you making time for me. (laughs) Thanks so much. Happy Valentine's. That is dating and relationship expert and journalist Jen Kirsch talking about how we can just save a little bit of money this Valentine's Day and really build that relationship rather than break our budget and then feel resentful about it later. When we come back, credit card debt is on the rise in Canada. I'm going to talk about ways that you can tackle some of that debt if you really feel that it's become overwhelming. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck. This is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk.
to the credit reporting agency Equifax. Credit card debt is on the rise, and that's because Canadians are suffering through um, higher cost of living. Many of them don't have the cash to pay all their day-to-day bills, and so we are charging things to our credit card just to get by. So there's a lot of things that you can charge to your credit card. For example, your mobile phone, uh, you can charge that plan, your cable, you can charge that. Most streaming services can be charged. Um, some utilities also can be charged, like a hot water tank rental can be charged to a credit card. Uh, but other things like hydro and water usually have to be debited out of your account. But that does mean that if those things are getting more expensive, that the other stuff, you may just charge it to your credit card and then pay off as much as you can. And you're carrying this debt month over month. And that is, of course, costing you when it comes to to interest payments. So I talked about at the beginning that if you've got extra cash and you've got credit card debt, that one of the best things you can do is pay that credit card debt down because you are paying 22% interest in some cases on that debt. Now, Equifax uh, gave numbers for Q3 of 2023, and they say money owed on credit cards climbed to a new high of $113.4 billion in Canada. Now, to put that into perspective, because that number just seems, wow, like what does that even mean to me as a one person? The average credit card balance climbed to $400-119 in that same three-month period. And that's up from about $3,700 just a year ago at that same time. So Canadians are carrying more and more uh, debt on their credit cards, and that debt is very expensive. If you put $4,000 in a credit card and don't pay it off, you are paying a lot of interest for the privilege to carry that balance month to month. And if you're only making minimum payments, it's going to take you decades to pay that kind of balance off. So this is really worrisome and definitely something that if it is something that you are uh, experiencing right now, that you should make a priority when it comes to your financial wellness and to your uh, personal finances. So the best way to really get credit card debt under control is to go to your bank and see if you can consolidate that debt into a lower interest rate product. Now, if you have a mortgage, it can be a little bit easier because they can increase your mortgage. And so say you have $5,000 in a credit card, they increase it by $5,000 and then that becomes part of your payments. So your payments will go up, but not by as much as they've been going up uh, with the credit card. You can also go and just get a loan from a bank. You can say, you know, I really have a lot of debt. I want to, it's called consolidating your loans. I want to consolidate it into a lower interest rate product. Um, and you can do that. The problem is with that is that oftentimes human nature is once the credit card is cleared, it feels really easy to start racking it up again. So if you are going to be consolidating your debt, you really want to make sure that you're not charging anything to your credit card until that debt is paid down. Because really, you haven't paid your credit card debt down. You've just transferred it from one place to another. And you really need to to, to practice some of that delayed gratification that I talk about all the time. You need to make sure that you're putting your, your needs before your wants. So if you want to go on vacation, you need to, you need to think to yourself, mm, maybe not now, but if you uh, need to buy food for your family, of course, that's something that you have to do. So these are the things that uh, you know really can help you get that credit card um, balance down. The other thing is, is that we have to start really uh, appreciating what a credit card is all about. A credit card is a, a tool, not a resource. So it's a tool so that you don't have to carry uh, cash around to pay for things. Um, debit cards. I'm not a huge fan of using debit cards everywhere. I feel it's a very difficult way to manage your finances uh, because so many things come in and out of a credit of, of a bank card. So sometimes it's hard to see if everything is in check. And uh, debit cards can be um, if they're if if 
your pin gets stolen, it can be very easily sort of compromised. Um, not to saying that credit cards can't be compromised, but debit cards um, can also be compromised. And that's straight out of your bank account. So it can be a little bit more uh, make you feel a little bit more vulnerable. So credit cards have a lot of protection when it comes to a fraud and, and, and alerting you of, of fraud. So I am a big fan of using credit cards, but you cannot use them as a resource. Just because you've got a $5,000 limit doesn't mean you can use the $5,000 to buy the things that you want. It really is about being able to pay for things more efficiently, effectively, and making sure that when you charge something to your credit card, you have that money in the bank. So if you are one of those individuals that is carrying thousands of dollars on your credit card, uh, it's time to really take that seriously in 2024. Um, higher interest rates don't impact credit card interest rates, but it does mean that everything gets more expensive and it makes it harder to pay that credit card down. That is the end of our program today. I hope you got a lot out of it. Uh, Valentine's Day is coming up. Don't break the bank trying to take your sweetie out. And if you are looking for a job in 2024, really weigh the pros and cons of leaving your old job for the new. We will see you here next week. Same time, same place. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck. This is for what it's worth.